So last week we kicked off a sermon series, uh, very good, and kind of talked about how the, uh, the life and death and resurrection of Christ makes possible this movement back towards what God intended from the very beginning, which is the very good life, that, that God looked at all of creation and saw that it was uh, very good. Uh, and so uh, just to kind of bring us back to that, uh, that place there, um, let's see if this is going to... All right. Would you hit the next slide for me there? Uh, whoops. Now let's jump ahead. It should be Genesis 1, if we can skip back to that. Uh, Genesis 1 uh, says, God saw that all that he made, uh, God saw all that he made, and it was, say it, Yes, uh, and so that was, that was certainly us, but that was all of creation was very, very good, uh, and, and God liked it. It was what he wanted. It was what he intended uh, for us, uh, and then kind of the fall came, and it, it, it was kind of ruined in, in all of that, both us and the creation uh, it itself, uh, but, but there were some important truths that came out of that, just ahead of that verse, where it talked about we are made in the image and likeness. Say, image and likeness, Okay. And then one of the things I said out of that is this, you look like God. And I know when you look in the mirror in the morning, you don't get that impression, but, but you look like God. So turn to the person next to you and say, you look like God. Yeah, you, you, you do, you look like God. And, and the word image is the idea of, of appearance. Uh, and so today we would understand that in terms of when people look at us, they should see Jesus, amen? They, they should see our, our creator in us. We are made in his image the way we did. And then the word likeness in Hebrew spoke to a much deeper thing about being like someone in the sense that your children uh, may have personalities like you. Any of you been blessed with a child that has your personality? Man, that's a bummer, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, I see all of my weaknesses right there. You know, it's like, oh man. So, so it's kind of the idea of God's DNA. You have God's DNA. You are created in his image and, and in his, his likeness. Who you are is who you are by God's uh, design. But, but here's the deal that, that we're gonna kind of be talking about for the weeks ahead. Uh, and that is this, the foundation of the very good life is being and becoming like Jesus. Being and becoming like Jesus. And you've heard me talk over and over again, especially Romans 12, where it says, be transformed into the image of God. And in the original language, there's a, a verb tense we really don't have in English. Uh, and, but it carries the idea of, of present reality and ongoing action. And so uh, I, I, you've heard me talk about Romans 12. It's be becoming or be being transformed into the image of Christ. And, and so that is, that is exactly what's happened. When, when, you, when Christ comes into your heart and you are radically changed, you are changed in that moment. <laughs> Let's try it again. You were changed in that moment. Yeah, there we go. Okay, that's a big deal. But that is the beginning, not the end. There's a constant process of being transformed uh, into the image uh, of Christ in us. And, and so, um, I, and unless you think you've arrived, any of you think you got the being like Jesus thing down? Oh, good, because that's a whole other sermon if you think that. Um, we are all constantly doing that. And so when we talk about the good life, I, I know I play into a little cultural understanding of, of the good life or the very good life. And in, in our culture, the good life generally means more. You know, if you have the big house and the fancy car and the pool in the back and the yacht down at the pier, then you have the good life. Uh, but, but that's not the way Christ talks about the good life. And so we want to talk about the, the very uh, good life that's represented in Scripture because we all want Christ's very good life. 
amen? And that's what he intended for us. That's not a selfish thing. That is what God intended for us. And so um, the more we become like Jesus, the more we experience the very good life. And this is the key to the very good life, becoming like Jesus. Not big houses, fancy cars, big bank accounts, not power, not celebrity, not, not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. I have known people in all of those categories that have leveraged those things for the kingdom. And so if you have some of those things in your life, leverage it for the kingdom. That's a part of the very good life. God lets you use that uh, for, for his work. Um, and so um, we are designed to be like Jesus, to be becoming like Christ. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to look at this uh, process. Matthew uh, chapter 20, um, there are Bibles in the pew, or you can carry one, or if you have it on our app, or a uh, Bible on your phone, however you want to do that. I, I do want to give you a little context here, because this is really a particularly fun one. I like this, this story uh, a lot, the way it's set up. So what, what's happened is, um, Jesus has his 12 disciples, uh, and two of them are, uh, well, there's two sets of brothers in there, but one of them are the sons of Zebedee. Say Zebedee. Zebedee's just fun to say, Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee. Nobody names their kids Zebedee, you know, because people go around, Zebedee do da, Zebedee. No, that's, that's, that's not in there. So, um, so th- th- that's James and John. And we know John was very, very young, probably. Uh, so he's a, a teenager, maybe even, you know, on the lower end, maybe like 15, 16. Uh, and we don't know about James, maybe, but he probably wasn't a whole lot older. And so here's what, what happens. Mama Zebedee... Uh, comes and grabs her two boys and drags them in front of, uh, of Jesus because this kind of Jesus thing is going on and he's talking about the kingdom and all that. I don't know how this happened, but, but I just imagine she grabbed them by the ear. She's got each one by the ear, you know, and they're being drugged along. They're like, Mom, no, don't go to Jesus. Let's not, you know. Remember when you were a kid and, and something went wrong at school and your mom volunteered to go fix it for you? And you're like, no, please, please don't fix it for me. Let me handle this. You know, I, I just imagine that's what's happening is they're kind of getting a drug along. And and the text actually says she made them kneel down in front of Jesus. And then she asked for a giant favor, right? So, ah, they're just like probably so embarrassed in this moment, you know? Isn't embarrassment a wonderful thing with teenagers? I remember the day I discovered that I could influence my, my teenager's behavior by threatening to embarrass them. It was the most powerful weapon in my arsenal at that point, you know. You know, for my son as he's like in the seventh grade, I'm going to give you a hug, you know, as you're dropping him off at school. No, 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 do that, you know. And then they become adults and they get beyond that. But so, so what you have is this situation. I want you to get a hold of this, right? So she brings them, she sets them down there uh, in front of them. And then she asks for this favor. And what she asks for is, is really a big deal. She asks if one can sit on the right and one can sit on the left when he comes in to his, into his kingdom. And so um, that, that's, a, that's a big deal. So right, let's going on here. So uh, beginning of verse 21, uh, it says this. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, understand, this is just a parent trying to help their kids out. Y'all help your kids out, don't you? You, you want the best for them. You want them to achieve more than you. You want, you want that. And so there, there's not a bad thing in this, but it does reveal something about the value system then and the value system now. And that is this idea that the good life comes from power and fame and wealth and respect and all of those sorts of things. Just like today, the culture was be large and in charge. That is the 
good life, right? So you can see this in her. So then he goes on and, and Jesus, uh, Jesus responds now and he says in verse 25, Jesus called them together. Now let's just stop right there for a minute. So here's what's happened to James and John. Their mama has dragged them in front of the great teacher, right? Made them kneel and embarrassed them to death with this inappropriate request, right? And they're just like hoping this will go away quickly. But instead, Jesus says, okay, everybody gather around, you know? Come on, we're gonna, I, got, I got an opportunity to teach you. You can just see James and John going, oh no, no, please no, you know? So it gathers them all, all around and he begins to teach them. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And so in the ancient world, that was even more than it is today. Today, it's absolutely clear. We have a, a society in which there are people who have power and people who do not have power. But in the ancient world, it was like way more than that. There were people at the very top that had absolute power and the people at the bottom had nothing. It was a pyramid. And if you're on the top, you were in good shape. And if you're on the bottom, you weren't. There wasn't a large middle class. There was a merchant class, but, but there wasn't a lot. And so Jesus is saying, you know how it goes out there. That, that, that the, the people with power tell the people People without power what to do and it doesn't matter whether they're right or not and so then he goes on uh, and, and says to them uh, not so with you not so with you not in my kingdom we're not that is not the way it's going to work in the kingdom of God. It, it is it, instead, okay, in place of that, whoever wants to become great among you, everybody raises their hand, you know, we all want to become great. You must be your, uh, you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And there's an interesting piece in the original language. So if you, if you don't want to be the very top guy, but you just want to be, you know, great at the top, then all you have to do is be a servant. And the word for servant was the person that gets ordered around a lot. And it wasn't necessarily a slave, but, but their job was to do whatever the, the boss said. You, you know, you just got to do it. But if you really, you really, really, really want to be the best, if you want to be on the top, you must become a slave. And the word is doulos. It's the idea of a slave that deliberately chooses to become the slave of the owner. And so with, with that, it just turns everything upside down in, in the midst of all of this, this whole different way of thinking about what greatness looks like, what, what, you, what achievement looks like, where you want to go. It's not, not going up, it's going down. The, the kingdom is upside down. And then he goes on to say, so just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In Greek and Hebrew, when they really want to make a point, they, they repeat it. And so he says it once, and now he says it again. He, he uses the personal illustration. Just as I did not come to be served, but to serve. And it would have been just fine if he had left it right there, but Jesus always goes too far, have you noticed? And he says, and to give his life a ransom for many. So let me kind of wrap that up and say that like this. Being like Jesus means turning our backs on being served and embracing a life of service and sacrifice. Yeah, this, this is truth. This is biblical truth. It's, it's not a great slogan to bring people in, but, but it's truth. We live in a world where we don't hear about this as much, but it's clear in Scripture. Being like Jesus means turning our backs on being served 
and embracing a life of service, and not just service, at sacrifice as well. And with that, with that, he overturns everything. We, we, we talk a lot, we, we love the illustration where Jesus comes into the temple and he turns the tables over and he makes a whip. I remember as a 12-year-old boy, I really liked that illustration. Dad, I'm gonna be like Jesus, I'm gonna go make a whip, you know? I'm gonna turn all the tables over, we're gonna do Jesus stuff, you know? Can I tell you that that's nothing compared to this? With this, he, he turns over the values of, of the Roman Empire. He turns over the values of the Jews. He, Jews. he tips over the values of, that we have today, this idea that, that, well, let me put it this way. It's not about getting, it's about giving. It's not about getting, it's about giving. Let's say that together. It's not about getting, it's about giving. That is completely backwards from the way the world thinks about it. And I know this morning I am preaching to the choir. I know the volunteer hours that go into this church and we've just come out of a time where a lot of you gave a lot of them uh, over, over the uh, Easter weekend with our Good Friday service and then into our, our outreach to the community through our, our Easter egg hunt and then Easter Sunday morning. And basically all of you probably did what I did Easter Sunday afternoon, y'all went and crashed somewhere. You know, it's like, oh, I'm so so worn out. So, so I, I get that, you're involved in serving and you guys serve in so many ways. Our, our greeters, I was watching our greeters out there this morning that trying to make people feel welcome and, and loved. The, the ushers that are back there, the coffee shop, musicians, tech that's back there. Man, you want, a, you want a place to serve quietly, the tech place is it. Nobody even knows you're back there until something goes wrong, right? You know, that's, what a great job that is, you know? The, the children's department, the, the board members that, that most of you don't see, but they put in a lot of hours and they have to deal with me. And so the, the deacons, and, and nobody's getting paid for any of that. You're just, you're just serving. And, that, and that's what Jesus did. He just served. He came to serve. He came to, to give, not, not to get. And there's some, there's some real important theology behind that. And so I want to delve into that uh, a little bit this morning. Uh, and, it, and it begins with this idea. Um, salvation is now. Salvation is now. There, there's something that's happened in evangelicalism where we've continued to push salvation into the then, into the heaven, that, that someday we will be saved and we'll go to heaven. And, and that, that's what salvation means is kind of fire insurance. I'm not gonna go to hell, I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. And, and that, that's not wrong, but it's inadequate. It's not really the way Jesus talked about it. And, and, and in fact, when G, if you look at the whole of the way Jesus talked, he talked much more about salvation in this world than he talked about salvation that is to come. Now, I believe in salvation that is to come, amen? I am looking forward to heaven. I'm gonna holy party and embarrass you all, okay? That's just gonna be the way it is when we get to heaven. But, but, but there's this time before that happens and Jesus talked about it uh, a lot. And so most of the time, Jesus talked about salvation that is something that happens in this life, in this place, now. And in fact, we, we see that. We understand that in terms of our personal growth. We understand that you become a follower of Jesus and then you grow. In this life, you become more and more and more like Jesus. You become more, you move back towards what you were intended to be, both through the working of the Holy Spirit and through our partnership with him and cooperation with him. But it's even more than that. 
Salvation even carries the idea of all of creation so that when we go outside the walls and we, we, we minister in our community, that's a part of the salvation process to make all of creation, to push it back towards what God intended. But there's a language barrier that we pick up because we all read these same verses and we kind of see them through the same light. So, so let, me, let me give you some of my favorite verses. These are verses I have used and quoted to people. These are verses I have used to bring people to step into the kingdom as they become followers of Jesus. But let's just read some of them. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah, that is a good one. I love that scripture. That is good news. Uh, another one uh, would be, there we go. Uh, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes. Uh, another one is uh, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Yeah. Uh, and then one more here. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yes, we, we love this word. It's a great word. It's just that we tend to think of it as being saved from this life. And actually, that's not what's talked about. In fact, the word here and everywhere in the New Testament where we see the word saved uh, is, is a word uh, from Greek that's sozo. Say, sozo. Yeah, sozo is, is the word. It means saved or, or salvation. Um, and and the, the root meaning of it is the word for safe. That's, that's the root meaning. And this word appears over a hundred times in the New Testament. So it's like everywhere in the New Testament. Save, salvation, all of kind of the variants uh, of that piece of it. Uh, and, and the interesting sort of thing is, although we tend to think about it as the life to come, in the first century, that's not the way they thought about it when they heard the word sozo. So let me give you uh, what, what the Greek scholars kind of talk about when they uh, give the further definition. It can mean save, it can mean keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, to save from suffering, one suffering from disease or to make well, to heal, to restore, to health. What's missing in that? No mention, no mention of heaven in any of that. It was a very practical word in that day. It was, a, it, which doesn't mean you're not talking about that, but, but certainly when you were a first century Jew and you heard sozo, you did not immediately jump to, hey, I want to get saved so I can avoid hell and I can get to heaven and live forever with Jesus. And sometimes in evangelicalism, we kind of talk like that. You see, the word sozo actually is a very broad word. And certainly it includes salvation of our eternal souls, but it includes the redemption of creation. It includes this idea of, 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 of large salvation. Now, it shouldn't surprise you that God's idea of salvation is large, amen? I mean, honestly, it's a little bit arrogant for us to think that when Jesus says saved, he's just talking about us individually, you know? We get that hunker down mentality. We're just going through for Jesus. Hope he'll come back soon, you know? Yeah, that's not, Jesus is like, I want to do way more than just save you. I want to save all of creation. And in the first century, that's much more the way they would have thought about it. And so Jesus' idea of being saved was as much about this life as the life to come. It was as much about this life as the life to come. And so when we talk about being saved... We mean more than just getting into heaven. 
We mean that we participate, we become like Jesus in redeeming the world around us. I, I love that the church of Jesus Christ, if you study church history, uh, th there's some stuff in there that'll drive you crazy, okay, and scare you to death. But there's also some stuff in there where you realize it was the church that did a lot of the early healing of bodies and pushed medicine forward in order to redeem the creation. It was the church that was deeply involved in education in the early years to, to get things going that their lives might be better. It was the church that was involved in feeding the, the hungry and clothing the naked and, and caring for the least, the last, and the lost. All because we are sozo. Because we are saved, we are saved, and we are being saved. And a part of our being saved is that we continue to conform our lives to the life of Christ, and we continue to redeem the world around us. Somebody say amen, because that is truth. <laughs> and I know if you've grown up nothing but evangelical, you may not have heard that, but that, but that's, that is the truth of, uh, of God's word. And so let me, let me say it to you this way. Everywhere Jesus went, he made it better. Isn't that good news? Everywhere Jesus went, he made it better. He, he was always leaving people in a better situation than, than what he found them in. He was always leaving them in, in a situation where they walked away going, wow, that was, that was, that was good. Uh, and, and so I said, Jesus always left people better than he found them. He, he would run across people that were, that were lame, begging at the gate, and he, he would heal them. They'd go home carrying their mat, you know? He'd run into blind people, and, and they would walk away from him being able to see. He would run into lepers, ringing their bell, unclean, 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 and he'd hug them and make them, make them clean everywhere he went. He ran into tax collectors, and he, 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 he saved them from the greed that was a part of their life, and all of a sudden, they're giving money away everywhere. It's like, whoa, how did that happen, you know? Everywhere he went, he, he made it people better and, and he left, better, left them better than he found them. I, I, just, I just want to pause there for a minute. This is one of those truths in my own life that bugs the tar out of me. Because I think far too often I have left people not better. This is the challenge in my life, in my own personal journey. I, I am not challenged to rob a bank. I, I can't remember the last time I was tempted walking past the bank to go in and rob the place. That is just not in the list of temptations I face. But one of the temptations I face in my life with the busyness and the push is to just not quite care. You know, it's, I don't, it, everywhere Jesus went, he made it better. When they walked away from an encounter with Jesus, they were better than when he had connected with them in the beginning others. You see, helping others isn't second banana to getting into heaven. Helping others is at the heart of who we are as followers of Jesus. And you can say, well, they're not getting better, and if I do this to them, you know, this problem is so big, and I don't know. That's not the point. You are not called to save the world. You are called to make a difference in the lives of the people God puts in front of you, amen? And it don't matter whether they get better because it's not about them. It's about you being in, in sync with what God is doing. It's about you becoming like Jesus. So let me challenge you. I believe that discipleship is as much, is much about making the world a better place as it is about making you a better person. Let me say that again. Discipleship is as much about making the world a better place as it is about making you a better person. So I'll say it this way. If you aren't making the world a better place, you aren't being like Jesus. Ooh, really quiet in here. No amens to that. But if we believe that we are to follow both the teaching and the life of Christ, 
then making the world a better place is a part of what we do. It is a part of our salvation. And we get so hung up on, on Greek categories about whether or not we are earning our salvation and God's sovereignty and all of that. Those categories don't exist in scripture. It was become a follower of Jesus, be being transformed into the image of Christ and make the world around you more like it was intended to be. And I'm so deeply grateful to, to so many of you that, that, that give yourself in all kinds of ways. And so it, it comes down to this way, that salvation is not about uh, praying a prayer, it's about becoming like Jesus, amen? It's about being like he intended uh, for us, us to be. And, and then, so let me say this, um, get to this next one here. The very good life is achieved through giving, not getting. Giving, not getting. And I just want to pause because I want to say to you again, I am preaching to the choir. I know about the stuff you guys do. I know a lot of the stuff you guys do. I know some of you are so serious about this, you've actually got involved in organizations in our community whose whole purpose is to serve our community in some sort of way. There's Rotary, there's Kiwanis, there's all the, you guys are, you guys are involved in, in that, that, that's the kingdom of God on earth, amen? You, you do that. Some of you have done this for a career. Some of you are, are in the medical field, and so healing and serving is a part of your career. Some of you are in education, so, so that's a, a part of redeeming the world. Some of you, all kinds of careers. Some of you are in law enforcement and all kinds of ways that you, you get that. It's all about, it's all about giving, not, not getting. You do this in so, so many ways. That is the kingdom of God, and that's what lives, leads to the very good life. Do you see how Jesus just turned it upside down? The good life is not being a billionaire. The good life is serving the world around you. That's what it's all about, to make people's lives better. In fact, I would argue that serving is essential to your spiritual development. So I, I want to um, talk about some next steps here uh, together. Uh, as soon as that comes up there. There we go. Some realistic uh, next steps uh, for us as we do this. I want to get real practical now because the whole point is to do something, right? So the the first thing, the first practical step I want to give to you is remember who made a difference in your life. Who, Who made a difference in your life? Who invested in you? Who was there at the right time? Who served you and made your life better? And I'm betting you can think of people right now. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a, a teacher uh, at school. Maybe it was some medical people. Maybe it was, I, I don't know, maybe it was the little old granny in the church that loved you. And that was her only gift. She didn't have any other gifts except she was good at loving people. She probably changed more lives than anybody, amen? I had some of those little old grannies in my church. You didn't think much of them until you become adult, and you suddenly go, oh, they were being like Jesus. Who, who, and the reason I ask you to remember this is because if you remember the people that, 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 that did that in your life, if you can look backward, you have a better idea of how to go forward. And, and do what they did. If you want a starting point, whatever it was that they did that made a difference in your life, do that in somebody else's life. Remember who made a difference in your life. I can remember a number of them that have, have just invested in, in my life over and over and over and over uh, again. Uh, and, and then the, the second one is add value to people. Just, it's just my kind of modern language for Jesus always left them better. Add, add value. So that when they walk away from you, they go, that, that, was, that was good. That was, that was helpful. 
You know, add, add value to whoever you come in contact. And besides that, it's a brilliant evangelism strategy, okay? It, it, it's absolutely brilliant. I don't, if you've ever had a, a mentor, an important mentor in your life, when, when the, you develop enough relationship where they've served you enough, there becomes this relationship where you'll do just about anything for them. I, I have a mentor in my life who is very, very important in the early years of my life. Uh, and Jody and I were kind of having this conversation about some stuff going on in his life. And, and he's one of those guys where when he calls me up and he says, Craig, I need a favor, I say yes before I hear what the favor is, right? Because it doesn't really matter what the favor is. He has invested so much in my life that I will stop what I'm doing and I will go and help him. You want an evangelism program? Invest so much in the people around you when you say, would you do me a favor and come to church with me? They're like, oh, I don't want to come to church. But you know what they say? Yeah, sure, I'd come to church with you. You know why? Because you've invested in them. Not because you rang their doorbell or you bugged them or you did anything like this. Add value to people. That's what Jesus did. It's a brilliant strategy. And then get out of the bleachers and into the game. Do you know you cannot play football in the bleachers? Well, at least not without getting hurt. You can't play baseball in the bleachers. You can't do any of that. The, the kingdom of God requires action. Get in, get involved, become a part of it. Put the, put the Slurpee and the, the hot dog down and get down and get in the game. Take action in some way, shape, or form. And if our musicians could come, we're gonna worship the Lord and give you a little bit here. Woo, yes. And then here's another one and I'm gonna meddle just a little bit. Perfect is the enemy. Perfect is the enemy. There's something about looking at how big the world is and how much there is and all the people that need help that can just be paralyzing by the enormity of the brokenness. You say, I can't fix it all. I can't do this. I can't fix that. You know what? I have good news for you. Jesus didn't fix it all. So you're not going to fix it all either. You know what Jesus did? He fixed the person in front of him. He just invested in his life. And the, the, don't let perfect get in the way. When, when Jesus went back to heaven, there were lots of people that were still blind and lame and lots of people that had all kinds of issues. Simply do what's in front of you. I've said this before. You can't change the world, but you can change somebody's world. And the one he wants you to change is the one he puts in front of you. And then... Uh, start with service through volunteering. You do this in so many ways. We have a, a volunteer fair coming up. We've completely redone our volunteer organization so that we can invest more in our volunteers in training and equipping you and those sorts of things. It's going to roll out May 19th. Say May 19th. May 19th, we're going to have a volunteer fair. You want to come and be a part of that. Pick out a place where you can serve. May or June 9th also. Say June 9th. Okay? That's, that's so important. And then volunteer your values. What, what, what matters to you in life? So for us, that's children, right? We will tell the next generation. <laughs> oh no, too late. Now we gotta say it, okay. Let's read it together. We will tell the next generation. Yeah, so, so honestly for us, it's a struggle sometimes because we have a trouble getting enough people to run our, our children's department because we are experiencing a lot of success with that. Get involved with our children's department. It'll make Ashley's day, okay? If you go and tell her you want to be a part of it. And then lastly, uh, just do it. I know that's a slogan, but just, just do it. It's terribly embarrassing for me with a sermon like this where it's all about getting engaged. If you go home this afternoon and you go, that was a really good sermon, but you never do anything about it. 
Because then it wasn't a really good sermon. It was a really bad sermon because you didn't actually engage. Get, get engaged and you can make a difference. And, and I know some of you have come out of difficult situations and there is a place for rest. Please understand me when I say that. There's a place for rest and recovery and eventually God will bring you back. But get engaged because this is where the very good life is. One last thing. I want to tell you about Marianne Wagner. Marianne Wagner was in, in my last church when I first came to it. It was a little bitty dying church. And uh, Marianne was as straight-laced. I mean, she looks like a picture out of straight-laced, right? She was an old, old line Nazarene. And she wore long dresses. If you could see her ankles, it was like, woo wild, you know? And she had gray, and she had her hair in a bun, and that, that whole piece of it. And, and, and she had uh, been a missionary in South Africa, and when she came back, she's like one of those real detail persons. She had become a general superintendent's secretary. General superintendents at the very top of our denomination. They wore suits when they slept at night. I mean, it was just... Wow, you know, and it was just this kind of thing, and, and, and the place where I was ministering was a very uh, difficult community. Uh, there wasn't uh, a single majority ethnically, but the largest group was African Americans. Uh, there was violence in the schools. It, it was inner city uh, by most people's standards, uh, and so she finally got done. She had volunteered, done so much in the church, but, but she had a lot of time engaged, and when she got to retirement, she found herself with some extra time, and she had kind of, we talked about this saving the world sort of thing, and so Marianne Wagner went to one of the roughest schools in Kansas City and volunteered to teach high schoolers how to read. I, I just, I wish I could give you a picture of this, but Marianne was like five feet tall, right? And that includes the bun on top. Conservative, straightforward. I mean, she was as white as white comes. And there she would sit in amidst a bunch of African-American boys that were pushing six feet and tatted up and headed towards gang life. And she was teaching them how to read. And they loved that little gal. That is the kingdom of God. I don't know if any of them ever found Jesus. I, I, I don't know what happened, but I know that she was faithful to Sozo to bring salvation to the world around her, but I have no doubt that when she gets to heaven, there are gonna be some young men that are gonna say, I'm here because of you. And that's the kind of church we wanna be, amen? Say, Sozo, salvation. Salvation for us and salvation for our world. That's the very good life, amen? Let me pray for you, and then we'll, uh, we'll worship the Lord in giving. Father God, Lord, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, and so I feel a little guilty about that, but not very. And I pray, Father, that you would speak and encourage those that have long ago discovered that, that the very good life comes through giving, not getting. Lord, and encourage them and strengthen them. And I know some of them, as strength fails, can't do what they would really like to do. Father, would you just give them a sense of peace? And then, Father, I pray for those that um, they just need to step it up. <laughs> they, you have given them new life, and it's time for them to be involved in redeeming the world, whether it's volunteering here at the church or it's volunteering in the community or some part of that. Father, I pray that you'd help us all to step it up that we would leave people better than we find them. And that when people look at us, they would say, there's something in that person, that they would see our heavenly Father, Lord, and we'd build such relationship that we could introduce them to you in a way that just is filled with love and grace and mercy, Father. And we will be careful, Lord, to give you all of the praise and all of the glory for all that you have done. And we thank you, Lord. We live in the reality that the power of sin and death is broken.
and Jesus is alive. Amen and amen.